Today on the show, the voice of the Miami Marlins, Paul Severino, joins us to tell us how he got to where he is in the broadcast business today. Did you hear that? That was the first domino falling in MLB free agency. Manny Machado signs a 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. We'll go over that and much more. And where is Bryce Harper headed? And this week's top five, top five reasons what makes us cry. It's all up next on The Burns Effect. The Burns Effect with Chris Burns. Now batting for the San Diego Padres, third baseman Manny Machado. 10 years, $300 million. The largest free agent contract in all of American sports history. And the reason it's the largest, just in case you're wondering, Giancarlo Stanton signed a $300-plus million deal with the Marlins, but that was just an extension. It wasn't in free agency. Therefore, Machado becomes the first player ever in American sports history to get a free agency deal worth $300 million. Benjamins. And we welcome you into the Burns Effect. I'm Chris Burns, joined always by Carson Farrell. Carson how are we doing and how are we reacting to this news? Well, how are we doing, first of all? I'd like to address that this was supposed to be the first day of spring training, and we got an inning and a half. And so, how was it? Did you like it? Uh, the, the Mariners scored six runs in the first two innings, <laughs> and that was it. Brilliant. So uh, we're doing okay. We got some baseball action. Uh, my reaction to this, however, I woke up to the news. This was, this was on Wednesday that it happened, or Tuesday. It was around then. Earlier this week. Uh, it was kind of bizarre. I was not expecting the Padres to be the team that really finalizes this deal. Were you expecting maybe the White Sox? Well, that's what we both talked about, like, ad nauseum. Like, we thought the White Sox, considering the players they got, were going to get Machado. And instead, he goes to Sonny Sandiago. Well, you know, I actually, before we dive too deep, I'll just give you my knee-jerk reaction. I like the move. No other team is in San Diego. There's no football team, no basketball team. So... I mean, they got to make a splash, take advantage of the market. Yeah, well, let's dive, deep, let's dive deep into it. I mean, they're kind of a top-heavy team when you think about it financially. I mean, they do have a lot of great prospects. But I, the reason, when I saw this movie, I was like, I cannot believe a team is still out there giving away such an albatross of a contract when we've seen how it happens with Albert Pujols or Miguel Cabrera. I mean, obviously, yeah, Machado is much younger than those two when they got their contracts. But, like, last year... The Padres got um, Hosmer. Terrible was, deal. It was a, I mean, we all, we, I mean, I, I hated that deal as soon as I signed it. Right. But if you're Eric Hosmer and now you're seeing Manny Machado sign with the Padres and you saw the comments Machado made about saying how he's not going to be the hardest player on the team, he's not going to try the hardest, that's got to kind of piss you off, right? I mean, yeah. But not only the lack of trying... But just the dirty plays. I mean, sliding into Pedroia a couple of years ago has completely derailed Pedroia's career. Stepping on Jesus Aguilar's ankles in the uh, yeah, in the playoff. kicking him, kicking him off the base, jogging to first base and jogging to second, or trying to take out everybody. I mean, he tried to take out the shortstop of every single team last year. Whenever yeah. he slid into second base, break, trying to break up a double play, especially in the playoffs, he by the rule you have to be within an arm's reach of second base. Mm. First of all. 
that's such a bogus rule. So, like, like even when you're allowed to full on knock over the shortstop, because now you're not allowed to. It's automatic out at first base. Mm. When you before you were allowed to, you couldn't slide seven feet away as long as you could reach a fingertip on the base. Like he's sliding three feet away from the bag, inside the bag, trying to knock over the shortstop. It's disgusting. It's disgusting baseball to watch. I'm. Not going to lie, I'm glad he's on the West Coast because I don't watch that much West Coast baseball. And now he's in the NL, so we don't have to worry about him affecting either of our teams. Exactly. So I thought, like, we've always known Machado was, like, not the hardest trying player, and he was kind of a dirty player. And we never really saw much of it. I mean, I personally didn't because he was playing in Baltimore. You did because the Red Sox play the Orioles in the same division. But I think a lot of the country didn't see it because Baltimore is not a team that everyone's watching. But then he goes to the Dodgers and everyone's watching the Dodgers, and everyone watched him in the playoffs, and that's when it really came out of how much of a scumbag he can really be. And that's, you know, for poor choice of words there, but, I mean, he really can be a scumbag sometimes. Here's the thing that gets me. Okay, he goes to Friendly Park in Camden Yards in Baltimore. Hit her friendly. Uh, yep. That's what I meant by Friendly Park. Right. Hit her friendly, yep. Uh, of course, it's the toughest division in baseball, AL East, right? Great pitching, Chris Sale, David Price, Rick Porcello. I say those three because two out of the three are Cy Young Award winners. One should be. Chris Sale, of course, the best pitcher out of the three of them doesn't have one. Mm. Luis Severino for the Yankees. Marcus Stroman was good for a while. Aaron Sanchez in Toronto as well was also good for two, two or three years. Baltimore, nah. But he doesn't have face Baltimore's pitching, obviously. Right. In Tampa Bay, Cy Young Award winner last year, Blake Snell. And their monstrous bullpen that they... The the opener rule that they use. Exactly. So. Great pitching that he dominated his whole career. Yeah. But then he goes to L.A. And let me read you some of these splits. So before he was traded, he played 96 games in Baltimore compared to 66 in L.A. Mm-hmm. Is that counting playoffs? No. Okay. No playoffs here. He didn't play too well in the playoffs anyway, mm-hmm. so... So Last he track out of the World Series. He did. 24 home runs when he played for Baltimore compared to 13 when he played for the Dodgers. He did play 30 less games, but does that equal 11 home runs? No. I mean, the math doesn't. Yeah. That's, not, that's not how it works. Okay. RBIs, in my opinion, were there. 65 in Baltimore, 42 in L.A. Yeah, that's, obviously, that's good. Obviously, you have a way better lineup in L.A. so you yeah. get to drive in runs. Okay, the, the biggest discrepancy for me was batting average. A bigger ballpark resulting in more flyouts for him. Mm. He batted 315 in Baltimore, and he batted 273 in L.A. A lot of the post-deadline moves that we saw last year, because this, this is kind of reminiscent of what Josh Donaldson did when he went to Cleveland. He didn't exactly play up to his level. And I think the same thing happened with Manny Machado when he went to the Dodgers. He didn't really play up to that Manny Machado level. But the stunning part about all of this is that he has said all along he wants to play shortstop. He's not going to play shortstop. He's going to play third base. Yep. And he doesn't want to play on the West Coast. And he's going to play on the West Coast in San Diego, the furthest west you can be. I honestly think this was nothing but a money deal. He only wanted the money. That's it. That's the only the guaranteed thing. money. Because yeah. he had the money in Chicago. Like they offered him up to 350 million in incentives. But he didn't. He wanted the guaranteed money. And I mean, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't you take the guaranteed money? Well, when you're a lazy... Uh, <laughs> well, you're not going to be the hardest player on the team. I was going to say, yeah, when you're a lazy... And I I want to swear, 
because I, I'm not a big fan of this guy. But when you're lazy... You're a bum. Yeah, when you're a lazy bum, like Manny Machado is, and you don't want to try, like you've already admitted, you don't want an incentive-based deal because well, you might not meet them because yeah. that's not who you are. You're not trying all the time. But imagine if he had like the work ethic of a Derek Jeter, a true shortstop. A true Hall of Fame shortstop. Because Manny Machado could be a Hall of Famer. That, yeah. That's the he has, talent he, he has is. the capability of it. I mean, the guy doesn't even try as hard as he is. And he's arguably a top three shortstop in the MLB. Shortstop? No. I'll say top third, top three third baseman. Okay. I don't like him at third shortstop. There's a lot of shortstops. Who at third baseman? I mean, I'd put Jose Ramirez and Nolan Arenado ahead of him. i put him ahead of Jose. Oh. So we're going to go there. All right. But um, just because of the glove. I mean, the glove at third base, honestly... Best in the game compared okay. to Nolan Arenado and him. But honestly, in my opinion, the deal that the Padres got on him, not bad, in my opinion, actually. I don't think I don't think it's that bad. <coughs> Just because of this, a couple reasons why. One, $300 million is a crap ton. Yeah. But they have nobody on contract besides Hosmer. Yeah. They don't have anybody. The problem is now their payroll is up to 110 with just those two big contracts. Their pitching's not great. They really doesn't don't. have to be. They're gonna win fifteen to seven. Fifteen to fourteen, sorry. But like, things like that. They're gonna they're gonna outslug their opponents. But also, another thing that I like about it is that they have a lot of prospects that will be on team friendly deals for the next you have to be eligible for six years in the yeah. base in MLB. So all those prospects minimum have six years. Well, guess what? Machado has an opt-out after five years. Say he plays up to the standards the Padres want, he might opt out after those five years. That's no, not unreasonable. I'm not familiar with his opt-out and how it works because I know you, like, you can opt out after five years. Is that every year after five years you can no, opt out? No, just the one. Just the one he year? He has okay. one chance to opt out, and it's after five years. And this is, I mean, you'll have an option to see as well, like, all right, how are these prospects doing? It's been five years. Like, this, these 10 top 100 prospects that we have, they better be starting to turn out. Yeah, and I mean, two of them are bound to play. Mejia, that they got from the Indians, is bound to play starting catcher this year. Well, not only that, but back to the point of how many opt-outs he has, the only other contract I've ever heard of having multiple opt-outs was the J.D. Martinez Red Sox deal signed last year. I mean, he has three opt-outs. He has an opt-out after every single year from mm. next year on. So... It's not shocking he only, had, he only has one opt-out, but the team doesn't have an opt-out, no. which could be scary for a not-Johnny-Hustle type of guy. In his own words. But at the same time, I kind of feel like this deal is comparable to an A-Rod deal. No A-Rod deal, in my opinion, was bad. He's the only player that signed a big deal that was actually worth it. I know he yeah. took steroids and whatever, but I mean, he's in broadcasting now. He's turned his life around. I mean, he's, he's turned the, Amer- the American perspective around. Yeah, about everyone around. loves A-Rod, I, and he's going to make the Hall of Fame because of it. I really, truly believe yeah, it. We, we talked about this in school, actually. It's weird. Yeah. The whole vocal training thing, but it's not you know, here nor there. But he will make the Hall of Fame because everyone is a... I love him now. Right. And I'm a, I'm a big Yankees hater and a Red Sox fan, and I love A-Rod. And every single... He signed two deals worth north of $242 million, 242 with Texas, 290 with the Yankees. And both were 10 years. Mm. And both were worth it. Besides the last two years in Yankee pinstripes, one was a, a suspension year, and the second one, obviously, was his last season that he didn't, pl- that he didn't do too well, and then he retired in the 
But there was never a question of A-Rod's work, yeah. like, work ethic. Like, we obviously, the, the steroids was a thing, but, like, there was never this guy's going to, like, try and take out first baseman or jog around there, like, not, not even try to run out of infield hit. To play devil's advocate for a second, I mean, let's be realistic, okay? When you ground out to shortstop nine times, well, actually, 98 times out of 100, you're out. So, if he doesn't hustle it on the first base, is it really that big of a deal? I know baseball's the, the one... Peer, the purists are going to say it's a big deal. Yeah, but in baseball's the one sport where everyone says, try as hard as you can on every play. Every, obviously, everybody does that. But in basketball, you see people... Nobody ever gets back on defense every single play. Nobody ever yells mm. at James Harden for not getting back on defense every single play. I mean, they're scoring 130 points a game. Yeah. They're not getting... Yelled, nobody's yelling at a defensive player in basketball to get back. Right. So, why can't... a Baseball player take a playoff like that. Yeah, I I also say like in hockey and football you can see a lot of hustle in the defense. Like you'll see. Ovechkin received a lot of criticism when he was leading and he had the most points. That's that plus minus stat. But he had the worst plus minus ever in NHL history because he never played defense. Mm. Well, this um, as a whole, the Padres they're playing in the NL West. You still have the reigning NL West champions here. For me, this feels comparable to lebron james going to the lakers like yeah i was gonna say it's a big addition let's transition to not just machado strictly but to the whole padres team i don't see them making the playoffs yeah they're they're gonna be a 500 team at best and like that's like lebron going to the lakers like do you want to hear their lineup yeah okay they have a good infield like tatis and all them that's it's a good set but here's the thing is that because of mlb's rules they're not going to be on the starting day it's the opening day lineup because they have to save them three weeks into the season so they don't lose a year of eligibility. So opening day lineup, this is what it's going to look like. Ian Kinsler batting second, or batting first, playing second, sorry. Well, let me tell you, I watched him firsthand last year play for the Red Sox. He's mm. terrible. He's terrible now. He's old. Okay, so that's no, mediocre you, you did, at you did type. You did talk him up quite a bit a couple times because he was your Yankee killer for a bit. Okay. He had a, yeah, he killed the Yankees. Oh. But guess what else he did? He killed the rallies. Well, that's what he did. <laughs> that's also what he did. Manny Machado, bats second. Eric Hosmer. Okay, Eric Hosmer batted 273. Look what happened when he went from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, yeah. which isn't very hitter-friendly, but even to a bigger Petco Park. Yeah. He, his numbers... Kauffman Stadium has those, e- those even dimensions, which can, be, like, can make it more hitter-friendly than it appears to be. He had 20 home runs last year, Hoff, uh, Hosmer did. Um, Will Myers, and everyone's giving him trash. Everyone's talking trash about Will Myers. I'm a big Will Myers fan. First of all, old school baseball player doesn't wear gloves, mm. and he hit 24 bombs last year. Not That's too amazing. bad. That's not too bad. 24 bombs with no gloves. Yeah, this guy's I mean, got calluses for days. <laughs> yeah. Fermil Reyes in the outfield. Manuel Margot plays outfield. That was a uh, an outfield that they received from the Red Sox. Mm. Luis Urias. I think I'd say that. Is that that's how you say it? I don't know. I, 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 I really don't know much about the Padres, to be fair. I mean, I can't really pronounce these names. I'm very bad at pronunciations. And Austin Hedges at catcher, and Austin's old. So their lineup is mediocre at best. Rotation's not that great. Okay, rotation's terrible. Bad. Okay, their best ERA was 339, Robbie Earling. Yeah, and they lost their best reliever last year, Brad Hand. So now they don't even have that much of a bullpen. Their rotation is atrocious. They're not even going to finish top three in that division. Yeah. Okay, the Dodgers are legit, obviously. And the Rockies are still Rockies. There. And don't quit on the Giants. Giants could sign Harper, which we're going to open it up. 
Let's go over. Good transition. <laughs> Thank you. You said it to me every week. Oh yeah, I gotta remind you. Look, gotta, gotta keep you uh, keep the compliments going for you. Keep the confidence going. <laughs> you know, I, I purposely make these transitions, but um, yeah. So Harper, in your opinion, let's just talk about the Philly Strictly. Yeah, that's the easy answer. Okay. And screw where we're gonna pick where Harper's going. As a Phillies fan, would you rather have Harper for the next ten years? Or sign Craig Kimbrell, sign Dallas Keuchel, and Marwin Gonzalez, all for the fraction of a cost. Yeah. MLB Network, shout out to them. Obviously, I kind of stole this from them because they're the ones who gave me the idea, honestly. Mm. They showed the projection of how much money all of them will make, less than $150 million. Harper wants over 300 Harper wants more than Machado's making. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like a couple of years ago. When David Price signed and Zach Greinke said, oh, no, 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 I want more than David Price. Mm. And that's how, that's how it's going to be with Harper. This is, uh, by the way, you said as a Philly fan. I am not a Phillies fan. but No, but like, I thought I, I meant like yeah. as like. Hypothetically. But, yeah. Yeah, if you're the Phillies, you definitely want, like, no one's going to say no to Craig Kimball for the right price. Like, he is, as you've said, could possibly go down as one of the best relievers, the best closers. There's, in my opinion, no wrong price for that man. Yeah. I don't understand why there's a slow market on him. There, there should be no slow market. But back to Harper on this situation. Yeah. Who do you? Who, which side do you go on? Do you get those three guys? Yeah, I absolutely take those three. I mean, I, uh, Dallas Keuchel with Aaron Nola. That's a good one-two punch and, for the Phillies. I mean, don't did you not remember Jake Arrieta's there yeah, too? That's what I mean, Jake Arrieta, the top a three, Cy Young Award winner and yes. a World Series champion. Jake Arrieta that also took forever to sign last offseason. <laughs> yes, Jake Arrieta, Aaron Nola. Obviously, Aaron Nola is the ace of that club. And then you add Keuchel. A lefty to break up the righties? Mm. I mean, that's what the... I know there's a now, big... All of a sudden, you're, you're talking your rotation might be better than the Nationals now. There's a Phillies fan back in New York, my old high school uh, gym teacher. His name's Scott Gilman, and he's a huge Phillies fan. Huge. Hi, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> shout out. I'm going to Clearwater next week, Scott, to go see your Phillies, because that's <laughs> my one of my favorite spring training stadiums. But he is... Chomping at the bit to get, he wanted Harper and he want he wants Harper. He wants one of the two. But if you if you were staring at him right now, I would have to say to him, the three others are the better deal. I would even say two of the three are better the deal. I mean, if you got Keuchel and Gonzalez, Gonzalez can play every single position. Every single position besides catcher. And then you get a frontline starter like Dallas Keuchel. He goes from Houston to Philly. I mean, Houston's not a pitcher's ballpark, and neither is Philly. And in my opinion, the AL West, it's kind of an easier division, but that's just because Houston's been so dominant. And if Harper signs out of the NL East, there goes the slugger from there. And in my opinion, that would make the Phillies the favorite of that division. I mean, last year they should have won the division. They choked down the stretch. Right. That's what happens with a young team. They don't know how to. They don't and know a how young to finish. Ma- a young manager too, no less. Exactly. They don't know how to finish, and that's what just that's what happened. But if they add people like Keuchel from the Astros, World Series champion, has a track record of being, quote unquote, a lunch pail guy. Same thing with Marwin Gonzalez. They show up to the building, veteran presence, winning presence. With Jake Arrieta, that makes the Phillies for the favorite. Screw Bryce Harper. Right. He's not going to, like, yes, 
If they sign Bryce Harper, they'll become the favorites just because he's the biggest name. I say go with the alternates. So just to kind of wrap things up on the Bryce Harper situation, like we've established that Philly doesn't need to go for him, but they are also the easy answer. Where do you think he goes? You still think he goes to the Yankees? I know you mentioned that a couple times. Yeah, that was a fun topic to go over. I mean, there was a report out there that said Harper had five teams contact him with over $300 million deals. And no team wants to admit that they're one of the five. And in my opinion, you can never count count them out. Yeah. Ever. I don't care what they say. I'm sure they're one of the five. I would... I would be willing to put money down on it. And as you know, I don't bet on sports. Yeah. And if I had to choose where he's going to go, I think he stays in the NL. I don't really see an AL team after him. White Sox said they're not really going after him. There's no AL team besides a contender anyways, besides the Indians that need outfield help. Yeah. Red Sox are are they usually make deadline deals. They don't make the big... Well, and not that, but you guys can't afford it. I mean, yeah. if, if you could, then you'd be signing Kluber to long to, uh, an extension. Cookie Carrasco to an extension. We got, we got Carrasco's extension. Uh, uh, Lind- Bowers the, the extension. One, the one Lind- we're going for is Lindor. Yeah, Lindor. I mean, there's a whole bunch. Of, you guys are lo- losing contracts left and right over the next couple, couple of years. Same thing with the Red Sox. That's why I don't see them either, and no other AL teams close. Yeah. Unless randomly, and this is like a joke... The Rays, possibly. You know, that's the only team that's one player away from yeah. contending. Like, and then, but they could be getting Edwin for all that cares. I mean, for all that matters there. Yeah, that's one of my predictions as well. Edwin goes to the Rays, but Encarnacion, if anybody's wondering who Edwin is, one name basis over here. But yeah. no AL team is one outfielder away besides the Indians from contention as the best team in the AL. Yeah. That's why I say he stays in the NL. I would not give up on the Padres, even though they said they were out, just because. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. Still wouldn't give up on the Giants. So I'll say, and I wouldn't give up on the uh, Dodgers either. I mean, they just yeah. got rid of Matt Kemp and Yasiel. Yeah. They've please. been quiet in this whole thing right yeah. now. I would not be shocked. He'll stay in the NL. I honestly don't think he's going to go to the Phillies. All right. Well, so, let's do this real quick before we get to our interview NL as well. West. Because we have spring training. We're on the topic of baseball. We're going to be going to a couple spring training games. Give us three things. I'll, I'll do it as well. Three things that we're looking to forward to in spring training that we're watching for. All right, I'm, the first one right off the bat, right off the top of my um, off the top of my mind, is Machado and San Diego. I want to see all those prospects. Mm-hmm. You know, they have ten top one hundred prospects. I want to see them all. I want I want to yeah. see at least half of them. Like with Machado, I want to see Machado in a Padres uniform because honestly, it's gonna look really weird. San Diego Padres, Cactus League champions. <laughs> what's your number one you uh, look forward to? i really want to see how the rays continue to use the bullpen the uh the opener approach see do if you they... think they'll use that in spring training yeah because I, I mean you think you still have the prospects that you're looking at maybe if they see like some of those triple a guys start to do the uh, opener approach just start them off i mean spring training you see that a lot as it is you don't see pitchers go very like starting but like devil's advocate early. said last year the only reason they did that was because they didn't have they had lack of starters they, starter depth now they still they added lance mccullers Oh, no, Char- Charlie, Morton. Charlie Morton. One of the, I know one of the Astros guys. But still, I mean, they have lacked of depth at that position. Now, say that a starter emerges, do they go with the opener in spring training, or do they want to see if they have a starter? It'll be uh, interesting to see. Just their whole pitching situation is a big part of whether or not they're going to go very far in the playoffs. Um, second thing, first of all, just to comment on you say uh, that you said uh, the Padres were going to win the division in spring training. Um, Baltimore 
is probably going to win the division <laughs> in spring training too because they're not going to win a game. Yeah, and, the, the Grapefruit League, Baltimore. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's just a terrible team. That's not what I'm looking forward to. That was just like a funny right. thing I wanted to throw out there. Second thing, I want to see who's going to emerge as a Cleveland outfielder. I mean, you have to, there has to be someone. I mean, like yeah. there, you lost. Michael Brantley was the biggest loss. Yeah, you lost Brantley and you need an outfielder. Like there has to be, so you lost Rajai Davis. So now you have a couple. You have Leonis Martin, who was almost died last year from a bacterial infection. He comes back. He's a big difference maker because if he has power, then he's going to be very effective for the outfield. But he, he's never been a big power type of guy. He's a he good play- slugger. He actually has some pretty good slugging over the years. Yeah, but he's going to go to progressive field now yeah, instead of that. Arlington. The little, mini, the little mini green monster there. Um, Bradley Zimmer also coming back from injury. And then but Tyler, like, Tyler Naquin. But here's the thing. like You're an Indians fan. I'm talking about... I'm a Red Sox fan. People at home, they're not big Indians fans. They don't. These aren't home. Yeah, these home, are not. These are not home names whatsoever. Yeah, these, these are guys. These are guys that are going to be batting in the bottom third of the order. That's what I mean. So I want to see if the Indians can potentially get someone that's more of a household name because mm. Frankie Lindor and Jose Ramirez can do all they want, but they need a little bit of help, especially from the outfield. I believe well, their help will be coming from the rotation. That's <laughs> one nothing games all around. <laughs> uh, my second is. Um, Vlad Jr. I, I'm going to Dunedin also. Now. I'm going to Clearwater Friday and then Dunedin for the Blue Jays on Saturday. And I want to see Vlad Jr. hit a dinger all the way to my old job at Mellow Mushroom on Golf to Bay Boulevard, which is anyone that has never been to Tampa or Clearwater, it's about five blocks away. And I think he could do it. My last one I'd have to say, and to chime in on your Vlad Guerrero, He's not going to make the opening day roster. Oh, no, he's not, but he's yeah. going to see him in spring training. I honestly, he was ranked in the top 10 third baseman right now by MLB Network. And he's amazing. never played a game in That's the amazing. MLB. Ranked above some really good players, too. I mean, that was honestly awesome. I I kind of have a man crush on him already. Yeah, I, I can't blame you. But my last thing, I have not been to JetBlue Park yet. And that's just yeah. something I look forward to. The spring training have not been to many Fenway, as they call it. So I cannot wait to get down there. Yeah, we've discussed possibly doing that this weekend. If not, then we can do it. I mean, we got a month to figure it out. At some point, we do need to go down there because I do want to see that park as well. And your last one there, Carson? Tebow Mania. I'm probably not going down to St. Lucie because I really don't want to make that far drive to go see the Mets of all teams. But no one can hate Tim Tebow, and I want to see him. I just want to see him. Like He's not going to make a big roster. Yes, people can hate him because... I hate this strong word. I know I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody besides the Yankees. That that video of, that video of him at, at golf or Top Golf when he like hits a drive and the guy's like Jesus and he's like loves you. <laughs> That's amazing. I love this guy. You can't hate this guy. I I don't like I oh I, I I'm not gonna lie. I just something about him irks me. You know you know how people hate Tom Brady because he's like an aw shucks kind of guy and he doesn't right. like. He should brag more than he does, and that's pretty much why a lot of people don't like him. Tim Tebow is kind of like that. You suck at baseball, Tim, okay? Let me tell you right now. You suck at baseball, okay? You're a terrible football player, clearly. He's, he's going to be batting eighth in that Mets batting order for spring training. All and yet, somehow, season. I feel like you should be more cocky. Like, you suck at football, and you suck at MLB, and yet you should still be more cocky. One of the most beloved men on earth. I do. I do kind of. I hold, I hold the secret spot for Tim Tebow. All right. Well, but, shall we? 
Good. No, go ahead. You go I was ahead. Say, shall we? Shall we get to our interview then? I was just about to say, and now we will play our pre-recorded interview with Paul Severino. We recorded him the day Machado signed. So, although we did not ask him his opinion, but we'll just listen to his journey on how he got to be the Marlins' play-by-play broadcaster. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Joining the Burns Effect is the Miami Marlins broadcaster. Paul Severino. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining the show. And let's just dive right in here. When you think about being a kid and watching sports, what sports game or memory pops up in your head? Wow. I think um, given what I'm doing now, um, and this was always kind of my dream, I, I you always think of that first time that uh, – you walk into an arena or a, or a field or a stadium or something. Um, you'll never see you'll never see greener grass. So I remember the first time I grew up in Connecticut, so I went to a lot of Yankee games when I was a kid. The first time you walked in there, you've never seen bluer seats. Um, everything is just uh, is so sharp and vivid, and um, you know the, the colors then and the memories now. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it, that's that's to me that's where you kind of fall in love with the sport and um i was close with my dad so being able to go to a bunch of games with my dad and you know having all kinds of memories like that um you know that that's that's what it's all about that's where you fall in love with sports i think that's where a majority of us come from with one of our parents or relatives getting us into the sport and you mentioned you're from connecticut so how growing up in new england did you become a yankees fan uh, well, it, it was a it was a family thing. My uh, my grandfather was a Yankee fan. Grew up watching, um, you know, the likes of Joe DiMaggio back in the day. And when he had his firstborn son, um, he named him after uh, Joe DiMaggio. Joe's middle name was Paul. Joe Paul DiMaggio, and so he named my dad Paul. And then um, I, I guess I'm kind of third removed from that or second removed from that but um so you know my grandfather was a yankee fan my dad was a yankee fan and i uh i i picked it up from my dad and now my uh my son splits his uh, his uh, allegiances now he's a he's a yankee fan uh except when uh the marlins are playing then he's a marlins fan oh that's awesome and it's funny because i'm actually from new york but i'm a red sox fan so it's, it's, it must be like upstate New York, if I had to guess. It is. Or or at least north of Manhattan. Oh, yeah, it's way upstate. Yeah. There you go. That makes sense. Closer to the Mass Pike. Yeah. So what, at what age did you realize you wanted to pursue a broadcasting career? Um, I, You know, I was lucky, I think. I, um, I knew early on, I think I, I was maybe six, seven, eight years old, something like that. And um, I had my mom's best friend uh, had a son who was like six or seven years older than me. So he was probably 13 at the time. Had a, a much better idea of the world than I did. And um, and I think he was probably one of the first ones that kind of helped me, as, as stupid and naive as it sounds, help it click in my brain that um, – those voices that you hear when you're watching a sporting event are like actual human beings who do this for a living. And I was like, wait a second. So that's like a job. And then he's like, yeah, of course it's a job. And I was like, Oh, that's gotta be what I do. Like, I don't want to have a, a real job and you know, work nine to five. That's insane. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of always the, uh, that was kind of always the goal for me. And, um, again, you know, I, I was, it was a singular focus for me through, you know, high school when I was doing whatever on, uh, closed circuit TV morning news things that we had and into college when I had different internships and, um, you know, the college TV station, stuff like that. And then, um, you know, fortunately I've, I've been able to chase uh chase my dream in the uh in the professional ranks as well not just the amateur ranks but um yeah i i think it started probably when i was six or seven years old was it always baseball or were there other sports as well that you wanted to pursue um i think that was always like the ultimate goal i mean i've always been the, the type that's like a, a very narrow focus and and many times that gets me in trouble <laughs> Like when I was in college, I knew what I wanted to do. So it was like, all right, all these other classes, you know, philosophy and whatever else it is, like this is all garbage. I don't need any of this. Like where are the broadcasting classes? Or, you know, or I went to school, it was internships that were big. It was like, let me do another internship. So like nothing else really mattered. So, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed other sports. And um, my my first paid job out of college, fortunately, was ESPN where I did um, – covered all all the sports obviously but also did play-by-play for you know basketball and football and um but it, i i always hoped that uh i always said growing up going through college and early years professionally that uh when i grow up i want to be the voice of the yankees um i think i uh i i missed it but not by that much because uh one one former captain is the ceo another former captain is the manager and uh, recently, they just hired a, a, a catcher that uh, is now a, an advisor in Jorge Posada. So there's, there's a lot of Yankee ties. So, um, and, you know, even though I, I might have, quote, unquote, missed on the dream, I, did, I didn't miss that far. This is, uh, this is a, an, an amazing spot that I landed. And who knows? I, I, I must have angels up there that are, uh, that are placing my life in certain spots because I couldn't ask for a better spot than where I'm at now. I know that really is remarkable how many Yankees are in Miami right now, or former Yankees, I should say. But if we could just rewind a little bit. You went to college at Edicott, is that how you say that? That is correct, yes. Uh, in Beverly, Massachusetts. And what was the biggest experience that helped you the most from that college? Uh, without a doubt, it was the internship program. Um, there they have a, uh, an internship program that spans your four years in college. Um, I know I'm sure a lot of schools have, you know, like your senior semester internship or whatever it might be, but uh, when they, they get you going quick, uh, you're it's a little bit more of an extended uh, January break. I always remember that I would go back a week or two after the rest of my friends, um, but your freshman year, January break, you have to do an internship. Um, your sophomore year, January break, you do an internship. And then your senior year, you do a semester internship. So those are the three that were that were um, on the schedule. And then I was fortunate enough to be with some really great people um, at my first internship at uh, the NBC affiliate in Connecticut. And you know, one day they joked, they're like, "Oh man, we wish we could have you back in the summer." And I said, well, heck, I'd come back in, in a second. And they were like, well, we, we can't have you come back unless we're giving you credits. And I thought, well, geez, i got to figure out a way to get credit. So I, uh, I, I talked to the school, and um, I'll leave out all the details, but I talked to the school, and I was able to work it out as an independent study. And uh, so I did a fourth internship 
Um, so the, the three that were on the schedule, the fourth one in that freshman, sophomore summer. And then when I graduated, um, two days after graduation, I did another internship that was not affiliated with the school, but it was an internship nonetheless um, with a uh, with an independent league baseball team in Connecticut. So I, I did five internships, four of them were at the school, but that's, to me, that, that was it. I mean, it was better than any class. You know, that's kind of how I've always been. I don't necessarily, you know, read books to get information. I'd rather, you know, watch a documentary or, you know, something like that or talk to somebody about it, get get something firsthand and just sit there and, and read about it. So it, it, at least in the analogy of a class as opposed to kind of the, the live experience of an internship, for me, that was that was the way to go. And I, uh, you know, fortunately went to a school that was able to nurture that. And, and that to me, that's that was the strength of the school then. And it's, uh, it's certainly a strength of the school now. I know, that sounds like it worked out perfectly. Every college student, I feel like, wants experience in their field before they graduate, so that all worked out. Yeah, it's great. I mean, for me, like, I, I knew what I wanted to do, and uh, like I said, fortunately, I was with people that that were great, that were, you know, first of all, they were nice. I don't think I went and grabbed coffee for anybody uh, in any of my time, in any of my internships, unless I offered to go get something, but... Um, you know, everybody was really nice and really accommodating, and I was fortunate to work with some great teachers. And, you know, in fact, I mean, I've been out of college since 2005, and so that's, what, 14 years. Those are, you know, there's still people that I uh, that I still keep in touch with. And, um, you know, I, I think that they were, you know, it, it kind of works hand in hand. If you're, if you're a young kid uh, who's in college, a freshman, sophomore, whatever it is in college, if, if you are serious about, what you're doing and serious about um, trying to get something out of whatever internship or whatever situation you've got at a, at a place of business like that, if, if you're adamant about getting something out of it, then whoever your boss is or whatever is going to see that, and, and hopefully that person is smart enough and, and nice enough um, to kind of give back and, and fulfill you and your time there, knowing that, uh, that in a lot of other places – you know, you might be a gopher. You might be a guy that goes and gets coffee or whatever. But I, I was, I was never that guy. I, I was always involved uh, because a, I wanted to be, and b, because I was allowed to be. And I think that that was, uh, that was huge. Um, and so, like a, you know, that's the long answer. But the point of the internships early is that you know you could see this is absolutely what I want to do, or you know maybe this is not what I want to do, and you can use self time uh, throughout your college career to find something else. You know, it's funny you say that because I've talked with a couple of my professors and obviously reading is a big part of being able to communicate effectively, helps your vocabulary grow, and I always tell them, like, I'd much rather, you know, be hands-on than read. And so, like, it's funny that you said that because they always, you know, make fun of me being like, oh, you got to make sure you do your reading. But... <laughs> well, yeah, don't get me wrong, there's still a value <laughs> in it, and I know you know that too, but, I mean, like, like you said too, it, 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 the, the hands-on learning for me has always been kind of, uh, it speeds up the learning process for me a little bit more. Now, you mentioned your first job out of college or your first paid job was at ESPN. What was your time like there? Uh, it was amazing. I, I grew up uh, I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut, so I think it was, um, I don't know if it was destined to happen or, or what, but, um, you know, it was kind of funny and weird and all kinds of different things adjectives like I would drive by it when I was six or seven or ten years old or whatever and you know it, it was 
to, to everybody else, it was always like ESPN, the place to be, this huge joint that's just the king of sports television. And it is, it absolutely is. But, um, you know, when you're able to kind of drive by it every day and see the satellite dishes and, you know, I would daycare in the summers, I would do summer camp. And we would tour ESPN or walk in the halls and you bump into Stuart Scott. And it, it, it kind of, it, for me, it, it made it a little bit more attainable, I guess. And I, I don't think I was ever, um, I always respected it and what it was about and the people, the great minds that worked there. But I was never intimidated by it. Um, and I, I think that kind of helped me to to climb the ladder in my time there I'm, obviously the, the bosses that allowed that to happen are, are a big part of that too but um you know i mean i i started as a headline writer for mobile espn and in my last week there i i hosted a sports center and i was there for five years and i i don't know if there's anybody else that uh, that's that's kind of made that lengthy of a uh I think George Bodenheimer used to work in the mailrooms, and he was the president at one time. So I think he did all right for himself. But to, to make such a such a uh, such vast growth in a short amount of time, but again, I mean, I, I think that I was again blessed to be right place, right time with uh, with you know bosses that were willing to give me opportunities, and, and I was doing everything I could to make the most of those opportunities, and you know the timing. The timing on certain things was right, and um, and it, you know, and it worked out. Now you said you hosted Sports Center in your last week. You went on to MLB Network in 2011 and became a very prevalent host over there and and beyond just that as well. So what was your what What are some of the differences between ESPN and MLB Network? Well, I mean, the obvious one is the focus on the sport. Um, and I think that for me, I mean, I, I love many different sports too, but um, I, my heart was always in baseball. So um, I, I was, I was, you know, certainly sad to move on. Like I said, I, I grew up in Bristol. That was home. It's certainly one of those places that you hope you could be there forever. And there's a million different ways to apply your craft there. But uh, for me, the time was right to move on. And um so, I, you know, I, I, I love the fact that I could focus on one sport, um, and and I, I loved the the depth and breadth that we were able to give it. You know, you're sitting there on a desk for three hours doing live TV, and, and you know, it could go, it could be three different mediums in, in the span of five minutes, you know. I mean, you could be doing a quote-unquote produced TV show when, you know, the producer says, four hours before the show, all right, here's the elements that we're going to talk about, and you, you rehearse it in a sense, or at least kind of know what the guys are going to say. You know, you could go from doing that, like produce television, to uh, kind of radio, where you're just kind of flowing, whatever happens, happens, and you're talking about it, and you're talking about it from five different angles with the analyst that you're out there with, and then the next minute, you're in a live look in a game, and you're doing play-by-play. So it, it, it was, I, I don't know how I, I, well I did with it. I guess I did okay, but it's, uh, it wasn't for the, for the weak at heart. I mean, that is a, a difficult, um, a difficult task, a difficult job to be out there for three hours and having to kind of know three different skill sets to be able to survive because it could go 
to go upside down on you pretty quick. I remember the first um, the first day that I did like an like a real MLB Tonight in season MLB Tonight. It was from six o'clock to nine o'clock. So the six o'clock show or the six o'clock hour from six to seven before the game started, um, you know, it was all produced. And you know, here's it's A segment, B segment, C segment. Here's what we're doing. And then once seven o'clock hit, kind of the uh, the big screen that's behind the cameras that has all the games in it was really the first time that I had kind of seen all the games on at once. And then you've got your producer in your ear and the director in your ear and the researcher in your ear. And you're following the games that you see on the screen. You're following the games that you see on the monitor that's actually going into people's living rooms. You're trying to hold a conversation with the analysts that are out there. And I'll never forget that day. I, I had somebody that I interned for once told me, no matter what happens on camera, it's never as good as you think, and it's never as bad as you think. And I never forgot that. But this night, that 7 to 8 o'clock hour was an absolute train wreck. And the producer would say, all right, we're going, we got a live look, we're going to Cleveland. And I would say, all right, everybody, we got a live look, we're going to Chicago. I mean, Cleveland. And then two minutes later, he's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to Baltimore. All right, from uh, Chicago, we go to Boston. I, I mean, Baltimore. I just couldn't get anything right. Nothing right. The whole thing, I was just absolutely flustered, and it was a mess. And I, and I, I love the producer, but he got in my ear, and he was he was always kind of a high-strung kind of guy. I love him. But he got in my ear, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, this is not going really well at all. But it's never as good as you think, and it's never as bad as you think. And the, the coordinating producer gets in my ear, and he goes, what's going on out there? Are you okay? What, are you all right? Are you, is everything all right? <laughs> flipping out my ear and I'm thinking to myself oh my god it's worse than I think <laughs> and and I just remember it's, I, I just remember that uh, the, the other producer so like the, the he was the coordinating producer the producer's kind of right below him he got in my ear and he said take a deep breath settle down you're doing a great job everything's alright and, and I, I settled in from there but um, that, I, I just I just remember that that was <laughs> I don't know if that was my lowest moment there, maybe, but uh, it was certainly one of my funnier kind of welcome to the show moments. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, that that was kind of the, the difference there is that there's a lot of different things that you have to do on the fly. I mean, when you're working at ESPN, you can easily be doing Sports Center or calling a game or doing radio, but you're not doing all three at the same time. So, for me, that, that was the biggest difference. Well, from your welcome to MLB Network to – your future on an MLB Network. What were some of your favorite events that you did? You know, I, I just uh, I just drove up to Jupiter today. I'm on my way back home now, uh, and I got a chance to talk with uh, one of the young, promising prospects with the Marlins, uh, Monte Harrison, who had a, a very good Arizona Fall League. And that was always one of my favorite things to do. I mean, a because um, you know it was doing play by play. Excuse me, it was doing play by play, and, and I clearly love doing play-by-play, um, so I got to do that. But also, I mean, think of all the, you know, tomorrow's stars that come through that league, uh, and, and it's a league that I think within the baseball industry gets a lot of attention and a lot of love, but I don't know if nationally, especially by the time it rolls around mid-October to, to mid-November, you got baseball playoffs and football starting up and, you know, basketball and hockey and all kinds of stuff, so... Um, you know, it certainly doesn't get national attention. I understand it, but I always love doing that because um, then you know those guys. It was great to see him firsthand. Not that I'm a scout, but it's great to see him firsthand. 
But then when those guys would, you know, make it to the major leagues or, you know, become superstars, you know, you, you got a chance to see them uh, up close and personal. And, and I, I loved that. My, my first year there was November of 2011. And uh, I, before our, our beer, it's, I think it's, it's called the Fall Stars game now, but whatever they, they called it at the time. Before the game, I had a chance to interview two guys who really never amounted to anything, Trout and Bryce Harper. And yeah. uh, I just remember standing next to these guys thinking, holy crap, Bryce Harper is like 18 or 19 years old, and this dude is a man right now. And uh, that was before he had burst on the scene. I think Trout was up in the major leagues that September, but it was right before Trout went on to uh, to, to be the stud that he is now in 2012. And obviously Harper's been terrific ever since as well. So, I mean, those are those are the crown jewels that came through that league. I, I was fortunate to do a lot of different things at MLB Network, but I, I always circled uh, circled the time in November when I was able to go out and do the Arizona Fall League. Yeah, those two guys, they're... Are they even in the league anymore? I, I haven't know. heard. I, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, at the recording of this interview, I don't think Harper's got a team for 2019. <laughs> so all jokes aside, who the heck knows what's going on with him? And when I say that Paul Severino is one of 30 MLB play-by-play broadcasters, what goes through your head? I think of the first time that I, uh, well, I called one of my uncles to give him the news, and he... His response was hilarious. He just started screaming in the phone, and he's like, "Oh my God, I can't believe it!" He goes, "Your odds are worse than the players. There's 750 of them, and there's only 30 of you. I don't believe it." <laughs> so, you know, you, you think of that. It, it uh, it's, it's certainly it, it's certainly humbling. There's no question about it that, uh, that there's only there's only 30 of these jobs. If you, if you want to get nuts and you want to throw in the radio, then there's 60 and you want to throw in the national guys, maybe there's 70. I mean, still that's, that's an unbelievable number. And, uh, and again, not, not for a second, do I take for granted what I've, what I've got and, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to live. I mean, I love it. It's warm all year down here, very warm in the summers, but, uh, you know, like today I decided I could zip up to camp, so there I was, 45 minutes up the road or so, an hour up the road and head to camp. And, you know, other other teams, 27 or so other teams, kind of have to make uh, much much more difficult uh, accommodations to fly to wherever spring training camp is. So, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm lucky in that regard, too, that I'm, I'm kind of right down the road. Um, so it's uh, that, again, I couldn't ask for a better better situation, better scenario than what I've got now. And speaking of spring spring training, 2019 is upon us. How do you think your first season went as the broadcaster of the Marlins? I blacked out for most of it. I think it went okay. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I think it. I think it went. Um, I think it went all, all right. I think it went well. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to get better in certain aspects. Um, but uh, again, I, I think if I was, uh, I don't want to give myself excuses. But if there were any excuses to give, I mean. You know, I, I was learning how to kind of pace myself over the course of a full season just with, you know, information and stories and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, working with a, a new, uh, you know, analyst that I hadn't really known before, Todd Hollinsworth, who is phenomenal. Um, I hadn't met him outside of my uh, interview and audition, so I didn't, it's not like we had 20 years of history. Um, so we were kind of learning each other on the fly and hopefully trying to make it sound as though we knew each other forever. Um, a new, you know, producer, director, an entire crew, all of which uh, are 
amazing, amazing individuals that, that welcomed me with open arms, which um, it was, was super important, uh, made me feel comfortable from day one. Um, you know, obviously the team had, had its ups and downs uh, in 2018, so, you know, that, that was difficult. But, again, I think that, uh, that, that I, I wasn't, certainly wasn't spoiled by anything. I mean, I, I think it, it probably would have been a little easier to be spoiled if the team – you know, won 110 games in my first year, and I think every year is supposed to be that way. But, um, you know, it, it was good. It, it gave me a chance to kind of get my feet wet a little bit and um, slowly but surely ingratiate myself with the fan base and with the audience. Um, and, you know, for the most part, everybody, social media or outside the ballparks or fan fest or whatever it was, um, you know, just about everybody had something nice to say and something positive to say. And then, you know, that, that means a lot because, like I said, you know, you're in these people's living rooms for uh, three hours a night for 162 nights a year. And, um, you know, if, if all the all the good moments, hopefully there's more good than bad, but all the good moments, you're, you're part of the fabric of, you know, childhood or, you know, relationships with family members watching games and, you know, the soundtrack of players' careers and all kinds of stuff like that. So, um you know, it, it's it's special. And the, the the good thing about what was a rough year last year is that there was a lot of youth on the team and there were a lot of firsts that I got to be a part of last year. You know, first home run, first big league start, first big league win, whatever it was. Um, you know, got, got to be a part of that for, for a number of players who, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, when they, when they watch that back, whatever highlight that is back, you know, they'll hear my annoying whiny voice over it and uh, hopefully I, I don't ruin that moment for him too much but uh but you know that, that to me that was kind of the cool thing of last year but this year it's uh it's about doing more of that and growing and um you know again just getting better and tightening up in spots and um you know just just having having fun with it and and hope, hoping that that you know fun element uh kind of comes through uh onto the TV and, and through the airwaves and uh, into the living rooms and people, you know, have a smile on their face when they're, when they're watching us. You mentioned that you, or you broadcasted for the Marlins that it was an up and down year. How do you keep, how do you try to keep the audience engaged as they don't do so well? I think that, uh, you know, I, I kind of noticed this halfway through. I don't think that it was a, uh, a concerted effort necessarily, but I, I, I feel as though we kind of treated it instead of like one long year. I feel as though we treated it more as like 162 games, you know, broke it up game by game, day by day. Like, you know, how, how could this team win today? How can they get better today? Uh, what, is, what are they doing better today than they did yesterday? Um, you know, as opposed to focusing on, you know, the, the losses. And obviously the second half of the season was kind of tough. Um, certainly on the road, I mean, wins were, were hard to come by. But, um, you know, you just try to go into every day with a positive attitude, knowing that the beauty of baseball is that no matter how bad yesterday might have been, that, you know, you don't have to wait until next Sunday to get back on the gridiron. You don't have to wait a few days to, to play another basketball game or hockey game. You know, you just you go to sleep, you wake up the next day, you prep again, and then you do it all over again, and, and hopefully you walk away with a win that night. And you know, I mean, they, there were uh, there were a lot of losses. There's no doubt about it. But there were some there were some bright spots in there too. I mean, I, I know that they were minimal compared to the the long run of the season. But 
you know, they split four, uh, four games with the Yankees. They were a pretty good team. They, they took four out of six from the Dodgers, who were a good team. They took four out of six from the Rockies, that were a good team. So, you know, I mean, we were in a position as a, as a broadcast team, but myself and Todd and, and, you know, everybody around it, producers, directors, the whole nine, um, you know, in a different, different area, I guess, than, than some other broadcast teams where, you know, you could, uh, I'm not saying that they do, but you could show up an hour before the game and, fill out your lineup card and you know, all the storylines are kind of there for you. Um, you know, we had to work a little harder, I think, than maybe some other teams did to try to find some positive storylines to try to find something to, to latch on to on a nightly basis. But yeah, I, I think, honestly, I think that made us better because, you know, we didn't, we weren't able to kind of coast through it. We were, we needed to kind of work. And, you know, I think anytime you're entrenched in something like that, you're, you're working hard, you're, you're focusing in on stuff that they, it, it it makes you grow. It makes you better, and it and it keeps you focused really on in, uh, on the task at hand, which was you know the the daily grind of it. And uh, I'm I'm the kind of person who gets into a routine. So you know once I uh, once I kind of get into a routine, uh, I was I was kind of good to go. So now moving forward, you've reached your what was your ultimate goal of becoming a play-by-play broadcaster for an MLB team. What are some new goals motivating you? Uh, one day I want to walk on the moon. No, I, uh, I think it's, it's to just continue to do what I'm doing, but, but get better at it. Yeah. I mean, I would love to call a world series one day, but, um, I think right now I'm, you know, most focused on just being, uh, the best Marlins broadcaster that I could be. I think that where this organization is going, um, in the coming years and, I think that whatever small role that I'm playing in this organization, I just I want to you know be an be an element that uh, that the organization can be proud of, um, that the, that the fan base can be proud of, that you know hopefully can uh, again continue to ingratiate myself in in the with the audience and with the fan base and be part of the fabric of this organization and going forward and um, you know honestly I hope that it. That it turns around quick and it turns around and you know stays on the up and up for a while and I believe that it will uh, on both accounts and um, you know I'm, I'm I'm glad to be I'm glad to be a part of this uh, you know again where this team is going and um, so that right now my, my goals are, are not not so huge anymore I guess as they as they once were but um, but but that's not to, to downplay what my goal is is to make sure that I don't lose the the dream job that I've worked hard to get now before we let you go I just have one more question for you what is one piece of advice you would give to people trying to get where you are today I would say uh, never say no to an opportunity Um, you know there I had people tell me when I was young younger that uh you know if you're working at a tv station a local tv station you're the, the weekend sports guy i'm working a christmas night and there's a blizzard somewhere uh and the weatherman can't get in do the weather that night like just never say no just try to make the most of, of any opportunity and, and try to take something out of every opportunity that you get but especially those ones that that maybe you you aren't so keen on doing um or, you know, comfortable doing and try to find something in there that you can latch on to. And, um, 
you know, figure out a way to turn a positive into what, you know, at that time may seem a little bit like a negative, but, um, you know, never say no and, and don't give up. I mean, it's, there's, you know, again, I was, I was fortunate, uh, started at ESPN when I was 22 or 23 years old and, you know, got major league play by play job when I was 34 years old. I'm, I'm lucky. I, I don't doubt that for a second, but, um, you know, I think that that doesn't mean that that's the only way to go about it. I think that there's a there's a path for everybody, uh, a different path and a unique path for everybody. So just kind of stay the course, never lose sight of your dreams, and um, you know, just keep just keep working, keep growing, keep evolving. Well, thank you so much, former MLB Network tonight host, MLB Network play-by-play broadcaster, and now the voice of the Miami Marlins as they enter the new season with their new logos as well. Thank you so much, Paul. You got it. Thanks so much for having me. And now for something completely different. Thank you so much to Paul Severino for letting me interview him on the show. And also, Carson and I will be driving down to Marlin Spring Training to get a little behind-the-scenes action just to see what goes down up there. So We're, uh, we're hitting pretty big time here. I mean, I, I, I know you're not going to Tampa with me for my two games there, but Red Sox Park... Clearwater, Phillies, Dunedin, and now Marlins. This is going to be a fun spring training. Well, we're going to make sure we take, we have to make sure we take our cameras and take videos. And I'll even interview some fans just to get their perspective on their upcoming season. And we'll post it to the Burns Effect Instagram. And that's at Burns Effect, obviously. But for some reason, our Twitter handle is at Effect Burns. It's the only one that's messed up. Effectively burning our Twitter Twitter following. I mean, I'm not going to lie, we have a solid seven followers, so if you are one of them, shout out, and one of them is me, and one of them is Carson. One of them is the uh, also the baseball <laughs> page I run, Believe in Ball. So basically, go follow our freaking Twitter, because they have nobody following it. One of them is your sister, and then we have three other followers that we don't know. So shout out to those three. Yeah. Jack Ramsey, I think. Oh, there we go. Um, so let's get right into our top five. Carson always comes up with the top five segment, and this week you chose top five reasons that make us cry. Yeah, this one was kind of dark. This one was just off the top of our head. Like, I honestly didn't know if I should go with, like, things that actually make me cry, like a death of a family member, or, like, are we not getting that serious? These are, everything on my list is something that I at least shed a single tear for. Ah, just this, uh, so basically... A single tear. Yeah, that's our limit. Okay. We're not we're not bawling over here. We're men, you know. No oh. no man cards being taken away today. Okay. Well, actually, <laughs> should I scribble out one of these answers? Because if I read out this answer, you're gonna be like, "What the heck is wrong with you?" Um, do you want me to go first so you can? Oh uh, yes, you go first. Okay. Number five. Number five. Um, thinking about a dog dying. That's... Now this is very like this is hypothetical. I've never <laughs> had a dog die. <laughs> but my mom. Wait, my, you never I'm, had a dog die? No. Like, have you never had a dog? This is my mom's dog that we, she has now is the first dog I ever... I've had a cat. I've had a cat for 15 okay, years, and disgusting. that cat is still alive. That, that cat is still going strong. That fat cat. But uh, <laughs> oh thinking about God. little Chewbacca, my mom's dog, who's only like four years old. Like, I think about the day. Like, I'm going to be a 30-year-old man by that point, or 33-year-old man. Little Chewie's going to go at some point. Okay, how old are you? 22. And how old is the dog? Four. No way last year, 33. Like, sorry. Like, you might cry small, right now. Small dogs last a little longer. You might cry right now. I'm right. telling I'm, I'm sorry to break the news don't to you. you. Don't you put that evil <laughs> on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> He's not lasting another 11 years. We're going to see Carson cry in the next couple, couple of years here. Small dogs last a long time. Yeah, like a long time. It's in, like, 
12 years. My cat's been alive for 15 years. Okay, that's because they have nine lives. They can die nine times. <laughs> okay? Dogs have one. All right, go ahead. Don't do not do this to me. <laughs> you might shed that single we're gonna tear. Emotion, we're going to get emotional. So I wrote down a list, honestly, about, and I don't really know where to rank them. Okay. Just so read, just read one. 2008 as the whole entire, uh, the whole entire year, 2008. Just the year? Yep. I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, the Patriots went undefeated and lost to the Giants. Okay, bad start. That that was February. Made me cry. Yeah. 2008 was also the year after the Red Sox won the World Series, and they faced the Rays. They went to seven games. That game seven featured the most home runs ever in a playoff game, and we lost in Fenway Park to go to the World Series. And that was the Philly. That was the Phillies World Series year. Yeah. And I honestly believe. Big year down here in Florida. I honestly believe the Red Sox could have gone back-to-back. Okay. And the Patriots were undefeated. So just those two those two instances in 2008 made you cry? Well, I mean, they both made me cry separately, but I just chose to group them together because my list is very long. I cry a lot. Okay. Uh, now, now you've got two champions. They both won a championship in the last... In the last year. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I, I didn't say 2019 makes me cry. Number four... Listening to the song "Landslide" by Fleetwood Mac. You, ever heard, you know that you know what that song is. I really don't. Oh my god! Sing a little. I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna. No, sing, sing. I'm drop it in here. Sing now it. Something changes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That song. That song actually makes me cry. Yeah, too. it's a very emotional song. <laughs> and I, That's terrible. And it, it ties in with my number three that I'll read next, like after your number four I, okay i have two movies on this list okay and i put them at four and three okay but i want to group them together now right because i don't want to i mean you mentioned losing your man card i'm gonna lose them not like ones like you you've got five sisters so i i, can... I have five sisters okay that's what I, that's the disclaimer here okay first of all rose from the titanic okay there was room on that door okay when she lets Jack die by staying in the water. Wasn't there a Mythbusters about this? Like there actually wasn't room or something like that? I don't care what Mythbusters says, okay? My heart and my brain tell me there's enough room no, on that. No, that's... Die with him. How dare you live? Jack didn't want to tip the board over. I don't care. Jeff had a couple of drinks that night, and Jack, <laughs> and he, he's, Jeff? Loaded, he's loaded up. He's got a beer gut working, and he's like, I can't get on this thing, Rose. I'm going to tip it over if I do. And the second one, honestly... And this one's big one. This one, I almost ranks number one. Okay. When Allie dies in Noah's arm, do you even know what I'm talking about? Of course you don't. Because you don't know what it's like to get your heart broken. Have you ever watched The Notebook, Carson? The Notebook? Is this like when Darth Vader dies in Luke Skywalker's arms? I've never watched Star Wars. <laughs> that's just the difference. That's how we, That's the difference of... That's, that's the difference between one brother and five sisters. <laughs> yes. I never watched Star Wars, but I watched The Notebook, okay? I watched it all by myself, and guess what? Every time, it gets me. Okay. Yeah, gets that's, me. that's tough. Um, well, since we're talking about television or movies or just viewing content, I will go with, I'll do like a little switcheroo here for my number three. Um, the final part of The Office when Michael comes to Dwight's wedding. Oh! That was, that's, that's tough. That's a tough part. That is tough. When he I makes will, the, that what she said, yeah, that's... Yeah. I, I've teared up at that point. I will raise you. Okay. Because also, my number three was an office one. Oh, boy. When Michael leaves. Oh, that one's bad, too. When he uh, when he says he's going to marry Holly, you know, and then 
they do the improv five thousand or what like you know the song like five thousand miles or whatever like oh. you know like countdown. Oh whatever. I forgot about that. And they did oh, man. Im- and they did improv for him of how many minutes he worked on the show. Oh, and Steve Carell actually started to get emotional because that was all improv. That gets me every time. Um who was it Aaron, the receptionist? When she meets her parents in the last episode, that's that's an honorable mention. That one, that part also okay, kind of no, got. I'm me. always like, I hated Aaron, so I was like, Aaron, sit down. Okay, well, you don't really have parents. <laughs> number two, um, you're a factory baby. <laughs> <laughs> number two is being drunk and thinking about a nice girlfriend. <laughs> oh God, Jesus! <laughs> There's a couple times where I've laid in bed and I was like. I kind of miss that so-and-so ex-girlfriend. <laughs> so being drunk and thinking about an ex-girlfriend is number two. Like, my last two are f- Oh, God. I almost, <laughs> just, I almost just swore. Did I swear? No, we didn't. I think we cut you off. We're going to we're gonna, we're gonna cancel that out. Oh, my God. That's how, that's how unexpected... We don't go over these at all. That's how unexpected yeah, These, are all, these are all... We don't know each other's top five until we actually go over the list. Like, what? I didn't know we're getting that deep. Oh, I mean, that was the deepest. Like, actually, next like, number, my number one's very deep. Like, I went sports. That's what I went. And you're going ex-girlfriends? I mean, jeez. If I knew we were going this... I, I said one tier. Okay, <laughs> an ex-girlfriend, they're worth a couple. Minimum one. Minimum of one tier. What's your uh, number two? Now I feel like a pile of garbage. <laughs> I don't even get an honorable mention for my girlfriend. Or my ex-girlfriend. Well, they're listening. No, they're not. <laughs> if they are, what the heck are you doing? Yeah, why? No. Like, get over, find, get, get over, over me. Clear yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Number two. 2013 Stanley Cup. Oh, wow. When the Blackhawks scored two goals in 16 seconds. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, that. I'm with you there. Because um, that honestly... And then my sister, Brittany, she loves to make fun of me. So, of course, after the Bruins lose game six of the Stanley Cup Finals, and just to magnify the situation, this season is over. The Bruins will never play a game again that that season. And as soon as the buzzer went off, that's when my sister decided, ah, we're going to make fun of Chris. And uh, did I cry or did I get enraged? I mean, that's just left. It's tough for you to decide. That's, that's up for people to pick. Well, that ties in pretty well because my number one is watching highlights of the 2016 World Series. Okay. I watch Rajay Davis's home run off of that terrible man. And I will say no more. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that come because the Indians, we had the three to one lead. We blew it. And then the Cubs are up six to four at one point. And this was the eighth inning. Rajay Davis hits the two run homer to tie it. I watched that at least 15 times a year, just that clip. And Tom Hamilton's call, and like that, like teared me up a little bit. And then we lost. <laughs> and then the rain fell from this guy. <laughs> we got a rain delay in the World Series, game seven, and we lost. And every time I think, I'm actually starting to tear up right now. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that if it didn't rain, you would have won? We all had the, the momentum. Yeah. The Indians had all the momentum and right in there. in baseball, they really... I don't care what anybody says. There is momentum. Yes, and the Indians had it like after tying the game up there. And they were this close from a home run <laughs> that went foul from Lindor. Oh, God. All right. Let, give me number one. All right. Number one. Now, this one's kind of... It's got a bad beginning, a great ending. 2003 ALCS... To the 2004 ALCS. I put them together because 
The 2003 ALCS, Aaron Boone obviously walk off home run against Tim Wakefield. My whole family cried. Like, that was the most devastating sporting event I've ever witnessed. And then just the triumph of the next season. Like, the very next season, we go to seven, we're down 3 0. Like, it's over. The series is over. And we come back, win four straight to go to the World Series. That, when I watch, I watch Aaron Boone's home run. And then I watch four days in October, 30 for 30, ESPN, Bill Simmons. That, oh my gosh, it's just... So relatable. I mean, at least you're not on a 70-year-old series drought. <laughs> no, you know, it's been a couple months, so I'm getting a little... Getting a little edgy. Yeah. There we go. That was the top five reasons why we cry. And... That might have been our darkest one yet. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to bleep some stuff out of that one. Yeah, that... I... Oh. That's how unsuspected. We do not go over any of these, no. clearly, as you can hear from our raw ex- our raw emotions here. But, Carson, let's go to our final segment of the day. And as we end this hour-long show that's gone well over an hour. Yeah. Thanks for sticking around if you're, if you're still here. If you're still here, we want to know your top five reasons why you cry. Put a, comment on Twitter. And if no okay. one comments on Twitter, then we know you're not listening. Okay. Or Facebook. <laughs> If no one comments on Twitter, we'll think it's normal. Go to our Facebook page because that has like 250, 300 followers. That's, go write something and say, these are our top five reasons why we cry. Yeah. And if you don't, we know you're not listening. Um, all right. And let's go to big deal, not a big deal. Uh, we, <laughs> looking back on this. I'm and once of, again, these are not rehearsed. I have yeah. no idea what you're about to say. Yeah. Uh, and looking back on these, we kind of talked a little bit about this at the start of the show. But, um, Craig Kimbrell, Dallas Keuchel, and Bryce Harper all still in baseball purgatory. Is this a big deal or not a big deal? Not a big deal. Okay. Just because every single big deal, all, all $300 million contracts. Okay, excuse this me. This is not a big deal, no pun oh. intended, because they haven't gotten big deals yet. <laughs> no, that's a, I should have said that. But um, I didn't mean 300, $200 million contracts and more for the last three seasons. None of them have been signed before February. So... I mean, spring training last year, J.D. Martinez didn't have a job. You know, yeah. Zach Greinke didn't have a job. Uh, so I don't really fear anything. Everyone's compl- everyone's freaking out that baseball, oh, like the free agency is losing. Manny Machado just got $300 million, okay? They're That's, not losing. They're not, like, sure, are they, they're having to wait a long time. Scott Boris is the greatest con man in the history of sports. Like, they're having to wait a long time, but they're still getting their money. So, I mean, patience. In, in 2019, not only do fans... Not enough patience, but players don't have patience. So they're getting fed up with it, but just chillax, everybody. It's not a big deal. It's not the regular season. You're going to get paid. Yeah. And if you all you want are big money contracts, then it's worth the wait, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, the only big deal aspect of it for me is the fact that like they're missing out on spring training time now. But even for them, like they're superstars. They'll be fine. All right. Next one, sir. Uh, rumors of Le'Veon Bell being up to 250 pounds after taking a year off. Big Big, well, big, I, sh- I should big say huge, deal. fat, fat deal. This is Eddie Lacy territory. Like, remember when he like kept talking about like getting fast food on Twitter? Like, we're, we're getting up there now. When I saw Le'Veon Bell sit out last year, I thought, honestly, smart move by him. To and as you saw, the Steelers crumbled. I mean, mm. without him in the locker room, I wouldn't. I not. I don't want to predict anything else, but. The relationship between Big Ben and Tony Brown fell apart. Yeah. Obviously, 
two years ago when Bell did play, there was still some anger. You'd see Antonio Brown throw his helmet, throw a trash can, things like that, because he didn't throw to him every single play. But at least Al Bell was there to kind of control everything. Without him in the locker room, not only did everything get Al Haywire, but the running back, James Conner, although he was good, was no Le'Veon Bell. I agree. This- huge, huge deal, because the only team that really needs a running back now are the Jets. And uh, the Are Jets going to take 250 pound Le'Veon Bell. Well, I, I would take him. I mean, I, I would. I mean, it's Le'Veon Bell. So before we cast too many stones, obviously I want to see him. But at the same time, like because he didn't become a free agent last year, the Colts found Marlon Mack. Like, what other team? Well, they had the Colts had Marlon Mack two years before, but that yeah, was, he was kind of hurt. Yeah, but like now they he he proved himself last yeah. year. So what other team really needs? A star running back. Oakland? Or the, the, they, uh, have the Latavia, Fr- they have Latavius Murray. The San Francisco, Oakland Raiders of Las Vegas? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right. Uh, last one. Breakdancing is proposed to be a sport in the 2024 Olympics in Paris. Love it. I'm down. I'm playing. I'm, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be an Olympic champion, Mom. You That's hear this? That's amazing. Do you hear this? I am going to be an Olympic champion. By the way, this comes after France made lightsaber fighting an official sport. Yep, I'll be an Olympic champion. Before I die, I don't care what type of Olympic event I have to join, I will be a gold medalist for USA, baby. What else is like a, a sport in France? Surrendering? Ooh. 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 Too soon. We went there. Too soon. Too soon. Just, it's 2019. Too soon. <laughs> We're sensitive in 2019. Don't go years there. after. Don't go there. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Well, there we go. That's that's big deal. Not a big deal. All right, thank you so much for listening. Paul Severino, thank you so much for joining our show. Next week, Carson and I will come back with our predictions for the MLB season. Carson, uh, give also, us... Also, we, um, we should mention this. Show might be going up early because I will be going to Clearwater on Thursday night. So we're going to have to work around that schedule. But uh, we'll make it work. Might be, going, might be doing a Wednesday night recording. Ooh. Ooh a little Whoa. audible in there. I just, that, just, that just now popped in my head. So this is how much we plan ahead. We don't even know what next week entails. But come back next week to hear out how the new show is going to be, I guess. It's been Chris Burns and Carson Farrell on The Burns Effect. Thank you so much. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. Life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten.